Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 137 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo, and once again, rejoined by my good friend and fellow Giants beat reporter, Ryan Donnelly. Ryan, hello and welcome back, and congratulations. Uh, You can pick up your membership card, your cigar, and your (laughs) t-shirt to the Father's Club uh, after you get done the show. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. I was catching up on my sleep. <laughs> there, there is light at the end of the tunnel, my friend. I've been there. Two or three months from now, you'll hopefully be sleeping normal once again. But Giants fans probably struggling to sleep. Is there? Oh, look at that transition. Oh, we picked up right where we left off. Look at that transition. Giants fans can't sleep. There you go. After falling to one and three and the season taking a, a really difficult turn for the worst after falling to the Saints 33 to 18. Before we jump into it, Ryan, what's your biggest of big picture takeaways from yesterday's game? Ooh, that's a good one. That they can't move the ball on offense. That's the biggest big picture that it's the same soft zone cover to look. Let's dumb this down for the football fan who doesn't know what cover two is. They drop. Defenses are dropping two safeties as far as 20 yards off the line of scrimmage and basically saying to the Giants, you're not going over the top. No more Beckham big plays, no Shepard big plays. We're going to keep everything in front of us and challenge you to move the ball with a long extended drive. And the Giants can't do it because they can't get consistent rushing attack. Uh, Barkley hits home runs, but isn't getting consistent yardage and the Giants shoot themselves in the foot too much. So when you have a 10 play drive, that's 10 opportunities for a false start or a holding or a law or a sack. And so these teams are taking away big plays from the Giants, making them nickel and dime them down the field and the Giants can't do it. And they haven't been able to do it for three years under two coaches with, you know, totally different personnel on the offensive line and whatnot. It's just same old story. Yeah, I think that that's a great one. And I think that that's where we'll start. But before we dive into yesterday's game and go into a comprehensive breakdown, I uh, want to thank everybody for tuning in. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. Or we, tell us what you like, what you don't like. We really appreciate that. And it helps us grow the show. You can also find us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And also follow us on Twitter. The podcast is at TalkIsCheapNYG. Ryan is at 
R.Y. Dunleavy, and I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. Ryan, you're absolutely right. Big picture, this team has struggled to move the football. Yesterday was no exception. I I think my biggest takeaway from yesterday's game is that despite the fact that you have a dynamic home run hitter in Odell Beckham Jr., one of the premier slot receivers in the league in Sterling Shepard, there were no big plays that were hit over the top. And this was a a Saints secondary that entered week four, having allowed an average of 10.2 yards per attempt. Eli Manning averaged 6.23 yards per attempt. And it doesn't get any easier next week because the New Orleans Saints allow more, 100 yards fewer per game through the air than the Saints do. That was an opportunity yesterday to get your offense on track through the air, trying to maximize your skill position players, and the Giants weren't able to do that. Manning, the the numbers are okay. 31 of 41, 255, one touchdown. He was sacked three times. Quarterback rating of 99.1. Higher than Drew Brees in terms of the passer rating. More yards than Brees. Is there a more meaningless stat than passer rating? I'm not sure there's a more meaningless list that in the NFL than passer rating. I I agree, and it's one of the more convoluted ones to figure out how they actually compute it, but you just watch the game and you watch the eye test, and you look at a a pivotal third down early in the first quarter. They throw a a flanker screen to Odell Beckham Jr. behind the line of scrimmage that goes nowhere. You have an opportunity to stretch the field deep to Odell Beckham Jr. along the sideline, and and the ball's nowhere close. And, And I know that it was probably only in the grand scheme of things three or four throws that were overthrown but when you're only taking four or five chances down the field, those misses, when you have the chance to connect on an X play, a chunk play, or a home run, they get magnified. And Eli's just not hitting those right now. Yeah, I, look, here's the bottom line. If you gave, if you told anybody in the NFL, forget Giants fans, if you told NFL people league-wide, the Giants are going to hold Drew Brees to the numbers they held Drew Brees to, uh, I think it was 200 Low 200 yards passing. Guy came in completing 80% of his passes, completed only a, slightly above 50%, I think. Like, And Michael Thomas, who's the NFL, who has become, dare I say, I know this is blasphemous, has become the NFL's most dangerous receiver. Uh, that's not a shot at Odell Beckham, but Odell Beckham isn't, it right now, isn't scaring anybody whether that's him the offense manning the offensive line Shermer, whatever it is odell beckham has zero touchdowns in five games michael thomas leads the nfl in receptions and the giants hold him to four catches for 47 yards something we really haven't talked about is the great job janoris jenkins did on him i was hoping to find him in the locker room today he wasn't there uh so i uh i think if you told anybody if you gave the box score to the to people around the NFL and said, this is what the saints are going to do against the giants. People would have said, Oh, giants are going to win that game. And to not win the game when you hold uh breeze and Thomas in check feels, and you get what was a pretty good defensive effort for three quarters of the game feels like an enormous missed opportunity. No, I, I agree with that as well. And I think that the bigger picture concern about Odell Beckham Jr., this was the second time in four weeks when he was held under 100 receiving yards. And when the game was really within reach, I'm talking from quarter one through quarter three, he only had 21 receiving yards over that span. So they're just not getting Odell Beckham Jr. involved. And I know you're missing Evan Ingram, and that 
that eliminates an element of this. But Ryan, you started the podcast talking about the fact that teams like the Dallas Cowboys, who had a lot of success with it, and the Saints, once again on Sunday afternoon, are playing a soft zone cover two defense. And it, it's, it blows my mind that you're not running more designed Saquon Barkley screen passes, more designed Saquon Barkley wheel routes out of the backfield, more shallow crossers over the middle of the field for Evan Ingram, or excuse me, for Sterling Shepard, rather, without Ingram in there, yeah. for Red Ellison. You're not attacking yeah. the soft middle of the of the defense. You're, you're either waiting yeah. for the home run that never comes, or you're sitting in the pocket and waiting yeah. to dump it off to Barkley on a non-designed passing yeah. play, and I just don't know how that's efficient for an offense to ever get its footing. Look, to me, it boils down to the solution boils down to that. And you make so you make a good point about Barkley and pass routes. For me, it boils down to this. The Giants bragged all offseason about wanting to be a big, tough, run-first physical football team. Well, you know what? The way to beat a soft zone defense is to run the football. That's what everybody will tell you around the NFL. Including Saquon Sher- Barkley. It's what Shermer said today. It's what Russell Shepard, a veteran who I really like on this team, has been around the block multiple times, said, run the ball. We're going to keep seeing soft zone until we prove we can run the ball. And it's what Saquon Barkley, a rookie who is becoming one of the most uh, the leading spokespersons for this team, said, he wants the rock, basically. He said it's dis- he, the Giants need to see it as disrespectful that teams keep playing soft zone against the Giants. He he says, you know, until the Giants need to, to be offended by it, basically, that teams are saying you can't run the ball against us, so we're going to take away your deep plays. And we focus so much on the offensive line, and rightfully so, on their inability to protect Manning and the Flowers and the change with Wheeler. And, uh, I thought they were blocking. better yesterday in terms need of to, run they, blocking. Right. I don't know if they I, – I can't say that they were. I mean, Barkley had 44 yards on the ground. That's not good. And I and I don't, and 28 were on one carry. I don't know on, that. They... Yeah, on 10 carries, though. And I think that that falls on Pat Shermer. I think that, yeah. it, as you pointed out, when they're playing that soft zone, and as Saquon said on Monday, you need to run the ball. And they got away from that. And you look at, at, at the big picture, you look at the drive charts, and you look at the fact that the first possession of the game, Ryan, they marched down the field methodically. They put together a possession that chews up five minutes of clock, 10 plays, 60 yards. Uh, sure, they were aided by a 15-yard penalty. Uh, they picked up seven first downs, and they wound up scoring on a really nice throw from Eli Manning to Sterling Shepard for the touchdown. But the rest of the way, uh, until the fourth quarter, when Saquon Barkley scored on a one-yard touchdown where he leapt over the line of scrimmage, you look at the drives, and you look at five plays, only one first down, six plays, only two first downs, three and out, a fumble, end of the half, rather. You look at a punt, another six-play drive with only one first down, four first downs that leads to a field goal, a three and out, a 10-play touchdown drive, and then a lost fumble by Eli Manning. That's simply not good enough. When you have seven drives on your, your opening, seven first downs, rather, on your opening drive of the game, and then the rest of the way, you put together, uh, that's three, that's five, that's eight. When when you put together 13 first downs the rest of the way, that's just not good enough. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's really, I mean, it's really that simple. And uh, Shermer keeps getting up there and saying, we need to be better. We're not scoring enough points. Well, it's good that he's acknowledging the obvious. It's good that he's not pretending that they are doing enough. But I think everybody wants to hear answers. Yes, you aren't scoring enough points. How do you score more points? Yes, you need to be better. How do you get better? Because there doesn't seem to be a lot of answers right now. There's, let's call it what it is. 
There is no personnel change the Giants can make. I sat down. I was going to do a like five ways to fix the Giants offense. I don't know what they are They're The Giants have so many stars and so much, you know, the bottom of the roster is so not comparable to the top of the roster. There's no personnel. You made the one personnel change you can make Wheeler for flowers. That was it. There's no other guy you can swap in or out. There is no, uh, there is no real, you're not going to, play Barkley less for Gallman. You're not going to play Beckham or Shepard less for Latimer. I mean, I don't know, like, what are they going to do other than call better plays, basically? Well, you, and- you hit the nail on the head there, and you need, you need more balance, right? And, and I think that when you look at the end of yesterday's game and you look at how it played out, uh, granted, they were behind for most of the game, so you have to put the ball in the air. I, I understand that. But when you throw the ball 21 times and you wind up only rushing at 15, that's not good enough. When Saquon Barkley, who was chosen number two overall in the NFL draft, and, and he's averaging I- over four yards per carry, you only hand him the rock 10 times. That's not good enough. I think we're getting away. I think Shermer might be guilty of this too. You and I are guilty of it, but we're sports writers. I think they're getting, people are guilty of looking at Barkley as like this multi-dimensional, um, he's so good pass. He's so good as a receiver and a runner that they forget. Yeah. The receiving is supposed to be the complementary aspect. That's supposed to be the bonus aspect of what he does. Uh, that's supposed to complement his running ability. It's not supposed to be 50-50, or it's not supposed to be more catching than running. He is a running back. Hand him the ball and let him run. I mean, I, I thought it was shocking. Uh, Alvin Kamara had his career-high carries against the Giants. It was 19 carries, and I, that's because he's usually splitting carries yep. with Mark Ingram, I think. Uh, but still, he's never had a 20-game uh, carry game in the NFL and he's, you know, one of the best running backs in the NFL. Well, Saquon Barkley needs to be a 20 carry running back and whatever he does pass catching, that's a bonus. Yep. But the the idea of 10 carries and 10 catches, that's not going to work as at right now, at maybe in the long run, but right now as defenses are playing the Giants, that needs to be more like 18 carries, two catches, in yep, my opinion. Yep, 16 total touches. He had eight targets in the passing game, caught two of them, uh, wound up with 100 all-purpose yards. Alvin Kamara, as you pointed out, Ryan, 19 carries for 134, five catches for 47 yards, and Kamara and three rushed touchdowns. for three touchdowns. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, so you look at the usage of Alvin Kamara, and I think that that's the blueprint for the Giants when it comes to Saquon Barkley, and I don't think that Barkley needs that Mark Ingram compliment. The Giants just need to get the ball in his hands, and I thought they did a nice job of that on the first possession and on the final drive of the game, but by that final drive, when they went down and scored the touchdown, the Saints were similar to the Cowboys, already dropped out of their aggressive fronts. They were just keeping everything in front of them. It wasn't even cover two. It was like cover 20. It was make up a name for it. It wasn't even cover two. Yeah, it was prevent. It was cover two on steroids, basically. Yeah, Barkley now has 100 all-purpose yards in all four of his first games. He has 453 all-purpose yards and three touchdowns, and he's on pace for 1,812 all-purpose yards. Those are and, yards from scrimmage and 12 touchdowns. And the Giants are still not a playoff team, which Correct. is not even nobody close. wants to hear this. And we're not going to. I, I mean, you. I'll give you your final your say on it because I know you're passionate about it. But we're not going to spend 10 minutes on this on the podcast. But this is what everybody in. The camp that I was in and the camp other sports writers in were uh, were afraid of when the Giants picked Saquon Barkley with the number two pick. He is phenomenal. He's going to win rookie of the year. He's right now been their best offensive player, including Odell Beckham. And the team is still not a playoff team. So I don't know how he's helping them. 
Yeah, I, I, th- I don't know that this year, and we said this earlier on in, in the podcast where you asked me, would the Giants be better with Eli Manning or Sam Darnold? I think in the short term this year, the Giants are better with Sam Darnold. But in the long run, yeah. let's face it, Ryan, this team yeah. is staring down the barrel of a 4-12 and or 5-11 and finish. Yeah. If everything goes right, if they continue to play it's it the crazy. way they are right now. So you're going to be in the mix towards the top of the draft with a class that has Justin Herbert out of, out of Oregon. You have Will Greer out of yeah. West Virginia, who's making a case for the Heisman Trophy. You're talking about Drew Locke from Missouri. You're talking about some very good quarterbacks who are going to be there at the top of the board. And I think having Barkley in the long run... That's assuming, Matt, the Giants have a high grade on those guys. They didn't have a high grade on Darnold or Rosen or Mayfield. So what makes This is very true. This is very true. The Giants would have to have a high grade. But my point in all of this, and I'm still a a very staunch proponent of this thought process, and and maybe it's flawed, but my thought is in the long run, if you draft a Greer or you draft a Herbert or you take, uh, you know, one of these top potential franchise quarterbacks and you have Barkley, that quarterback is being dropped into a much better situation and Barkley can help develop him by taking the pressure off of him in, in the running game and the passing game that in two and three years down the line the Giants are better positioned with Barkley and this QB than the Jets are just with Sam Darnold that's my thought on this and we'll see how it plays out I don't know it just feels like the Giants are wasting some of uh wasting some of Odell Beckham's uh best years I mean he's Odell Beckham's been to the playoffs once in his career he played one playoff game they lost it he didn't play well uh, I look back like Tiki Barber went to the playoffs five times in 10 years. Michael Strahan, Michael Strahan went seven times in 15 years. I think LT went seven times in 13 years. These great Giants players of the last 25 years, the team's always in the playoffs. The Gi- I mean, the, Gi- the Giants are in danger of turning Odell Beckham into Barry Sanders. Yeah, no, that, that's a very great point. And I think that we saw some of the deficiencies out of the quarterback position right now on Sunday. And I went into the Saints locker room after the game and I spoke to several defensive players, several players in the defensive backfield. And I know that Pat Shermer didn't want to hear this on Monday when I asked him about it. But, you know, I spoke to several players and they said that they felt that the front seven, quote unquote, put a scare in Eli Manning. Kevin Crawley, one of their cornerbacks, told me he thought the front seven put a, the rush put put a scare in Eli Manning and that there were deep balls to be had opportunities down the field to be had. And Eli Manning didn't pull the trigger and didn't take advantage of those. And we'll go back and watch the game tape, but on first glance, what are your thoughts when you hear a, an opponent, a secondary player say those sort of things about an offense? I'm used to hearing guys say, well, yeah, we knew the play, right? We could tell what was coming. We knew their signals or, you know, they had telegraphed their offense, but I've never heard a guy say that, yeah, we got beat over the top and they just didn't take the shot that was that was very interesting to me to hear that come out of their mouths yesterday afternoon yeah I I, look I think that um I think everybody knows the blueprint on the Giants and I think that the play look for the Saints to say that uh Shermer said it's easy for an opponent to say that. Look, you're right. I don't. I can't imagine an opponent saying that. But then you have Marshawn Latimer. I think you asked him too, and he said they were playing a lot of man defense. And I was like, that didn't look like man defense to me. So sometimes the players, you know, say. I think sometimes the players say things they don't even really know how it sounds. So I, to me, Matt, I don't know how about to you. I didn't really see. I appreciate that he said that to me. I didn't really see them getting beat over the top. I saw them playing a very, very soft, keep it in front of you defense. And maybe the players don't like to admit that that's what they were doing. Maybe to them, it sounds like they were, 
you know, not being aggressive or not competing. Hey, they were winning. That they outsmarted the Giants. That they might not have been sexy, but they should just own it. Own the fact that you outsmarted the Giants and you kept everything in front of you because. To me, it certainly didn't seem like there were shots to be taken. I, I appreciate the Saints guy saying that, but that's certainly not what I saw from my uh, eagle eye view. Yeah, I thought there were a couple of opportunities that Manning just missed on. I, I don't know. And look, when the all he only threw two out, passes over twenty yards. He was zero for two over twenty yards. Well, there you so. go. And I think that when the all twenty-two comes out, we'll get the, a better sense of if there were any free-breaking wide receivers that were open that they just didn't see. But I can speak for the game against the Dallas Cowboys. There were two or three instances in that game. There were one or two instances against the Houston Texans where that was the case, particularly with Odell Beckham. And, and I think it's really fascinating that I, I know that Odell Beckham was off the field for all but four games last season. But here's the thing. He was on the field for all of the 2016 season. This is not the first time that Odell Beckham Jr. and Eli Manning have been on the field together. But I just get the sense from watching this that their timing is off. And, and that's fascinating to me because you have a veteran quarterback who all through training camp was working with this guy. They've been together. They've been teammates. You know what Odell Beckham Jr. is, but yet the these guys just can't seem to get on the same page. And I know, as Pat Shermer pointed out, that there's a fine line between being aggressive and being reckless. That was his go-to word during the press conference on Monday. But but I feel like you're being more reckless by hamstringing that element of your offense and allowing defenses to set the tone for how they defend you by not even airing it out, which they yeah. haven't done. Yeah, look, um, the thing that I think is missing is, and this is unfair to put on Odell Beckham, but this is what makes Odell Beckham Odell Beckham. Where are all the plays where Odell Beckham takes the 10-yard slant and turns it into a 45-yard touchdown or takes the, you know, uh, or takes the 20-yard crossing route, breaks three tackles and turns it into an 80-yard touchdown? Yep. That's kind of what Odell Beckham's career has been. A lot of run after the catch yards. And, and he has he, the ability to do that. He has a track record of it. You're right, and we haven't seen it. We saw a couple of plays against the Houston Texans. There was one at the end of the first half, and there was one at the beginning of the third quarter where, and Odell talked about this last week, that he felt like he just couldn't kick it into overdrive because he was hesitant about being hit over the top, and it's that split second that makes yeah. all the difference. I didn't even see them go that route against the, the Saints. And that's what I talked about earlier. If they're playing a soft cover too, that's where you attack the middle of the field. You don't sit back yeah. and wait and dump it off to Barkley. You have designed throws to Barkley and designed intermediate yeah. routes to Beckham to, yeah. to, to then cause the safeties to creep up and respect the short passing game when you can go over the top. And they aren't yeah. doing that. Yeah, I, I wasn't covering the Giants in 15 and 16, but I know a lot of Giants fans and the running joke used to be like the offense is essentially get the ball to Beckham and get out of the way and hope you can turn it, break a big play. Well, now the offense isn't even that now. Now those fans are longing for that, where it's like uh, now, now you can't even get now Beckham can't even break free into space. So now now you're taking away what you used to mock as like your best play is now now you're longing for it. It's it's very strange. Uh with two other things I want to hit on, Matt, yep. uh, from yesterday, um, let's go first with the Giants' defense. I, they gave up 33 points. Uh, are you any concern for you that the defense is going to turn on the offense? Uh, maybe you know start barking at each other. Maybe have some ill will. Some sort. Of, we we've seen this situation before, right? When it, it, it happened here last year, and it's happened other places. 
where one side of the ball, and in this case, it's the defense, feels like they're doing their job and the other side isn't holding up the, their end of the bargain. Any concern for that for you right now with the Giants? Yeah, I think that we might be a couple of games away from that. But if it's going to happen, it's going to happen during this crucible. I mean, you look at the next three games and you go to Carolina, you come back on a short week and you host the Eagles on a Thursday night. Then you get back on a plane for a Monday night game against the Atlanta Falcons. That's murderer's row in terms of teams that are expected to compete at the top of the NFC and the Giants aren't yet at that level. So I think that if this continues to be a trend and the offense can't move the ball and the defense is on the field for... 39 minutes of the game or they're, or they're, they're, they're giving up 27 points or worse yet, they give up 20 points and they lose a 20 to 14. That's when I think that we might see it. And I think that if it does happen, we're going to see it during this stretch and not later in the year. Yeah, that, that's, that's a fair point to me. I think you have to be aware of that just because it happened here last year, but there are a lot of new leaders. I mean, three of the captains are new. Uh, so I think that, uh, I think they're probably not at that point. And, you know, obviously it's easier to do that when you feel like, you know, the locker room is run by the players, not by the coaches. And with Shermer, not, you know, Shermer in his first year and all the coaches aren't going anywhere. So the players are going to have a hard time turning on each other because the players will go here before the coach, unlike last year. Correct. And and I thought yesterday overall, and I'm glad you, you brought up the defense, I thought for three quarters, uh, they played as well as you could expect against the New Orleans Saints. They did a really nice job, as you pointed out, against Michael Thomas. Through three quarters, it was it was 19 to 10. It, yeah. it, was, it was a two-score game, and then the fourth quarter happened, and I think the dam just broke. I think the wheels fell off in the fourth quarter, and the Saints finally started to do what they do, and they got Kamara more involved, and uh, they threw some different packages out there with the backup quarterback on the field as, as kind of that, you know, uh, uh, yeah. multi-purpose Swiss Army knife type of a player. Yeah, and, man, and the Sean, Giants, Payton. Sean Payton's a fun coach to watch. He, hey, really, he really is. Yeah, and, and you'll wind up losing 33-18 to 18 and you give up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, but I, I don't lay the blame for yesterday's loss on the defense. I, I think the offense didn't show up. They didn't take advantage of opportunities, and when you can't move the ball effectively down the field and you lose time of possession, eventually the Saints offense is going to do their thing. And that's what happened late. Other th- last thing I wanted to bring up was what do you make of the officiating in this game? I thought it was atrocious. I don't mean to sound like a Giants homer, uh, but uh, I think everybody knows I'm not. Um, I thought it was atrocious. I thought the Giants got a bad whistle. I asked four or five players about it in the locker room after the game. Uh, I got that quote that everybody's talking about from Alec Ogletree, which is a head scratcher about an official telling him that, uh, you know, he didn't make a call because you wouldn't make it in the Super Bowl. And people have interpreted it different ways. Like, uh, are, why are the refs thinking about the Super Bowl when they're supposed to be refing this game? And why are the refs uh, worried about what you would call in a Super Bowl versus now you should call every game the same? Uh, what do you make of the officiating overall in that Ogletree comment? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, I'll tackle the Ogletree comment. And, and if that's where Pete Morelli's head is at in the middle of a regular season game. Of and let's be clear, to, it wasn't we don't know that it was Morelli. Correct, it was somebody but, but on Morelli's it's, crew. But it's his crew. And this yeah. crew has officiated multiple Super Bowls um, that, that if that's where your head is at, then you don't deserve to officiate a Super Bowl because you should get there based on merit, based on your performance through the course of the year, not by trying to tailor how you call games by how it's you think it's supposed to be called in a Super Bowl. Call the game. And to me, I thought that the Janoris Jenkins 
horse collar was one of the more egregious things I've ever seen because it wasn't a horse collar, unless the rule has somehow changed over the last four weeks and we don't know about it. Uh, I, I thought that there were a couple other plays. I thought the Saints got away with a tripping penalty that went uncalled in the first half yep. of the game. And, and There's they, been some talk of what, oh, you're talking about in the first half of the game. There was some talk of a tripping penalty when they were backed up against their own end zone with three minutes to go. And I think that was egregious that they, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson got tripped. Uh, that's the one. Yeah, but I, I just couldn't remember when it actually happened. Yeah, it I was thought up, it was uh, earlier. Yeah, okay. it was when they were backed up into the shadow of their own end zone. They say they didn't go call, call that. A lot of people have asked me if that's a safety. It's not a safety. Doesn't matter where Breeze is. It's where the offensive lineman was Correct. when he tripped him. He's not in the end zone. So it would have only been like a yard and a half penalty, but it would have wiped out a 21 yard game. Yeah, and Pat Shermer talked about it on Monday, and he said that typically the team will send a handful of plays to the league to get clarification for try to figure out what was going on, why that that flag was thrown. And he said this week there's a, a bigger handful, quote unquote, than most weeks. But but I will say this: when you look at the penalties, and uh, the Giants wind up getting called, I believe six times for 61 yards, and the Saints were flagged five times for 51 yards. Both were flagged quite frequently. I don't think that the field was necessarily tilted in the giant against the giants in terms of number of penalties, but they were bigger misses yeah. that affected the outcome of the game more than the calls that were made or missed against the Saints. Correct. It just felt like the giants penalties were at the worst times and the saints dodged some penalties more than the giants dodged penalties. I just a naked eye kind of test, you know, that's why you can't yeah. always go by the box score. Right. And I think that that's also one of those things where, uh, again, you got to play your way through it. And and I think that it's disappointing um, that, that the officials would have that mindset about thinking about officiating a Super Bowl. But, hey, you know, if, if you'd make enough plays and you sustain drives, you take the outcome of the game out of the officials hands. And the Giants didn't do that on offense yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, certainly felt like 11 versus 12. And the Giants aren't good enough to win most 11 on 11s right now. So, and I look at the this season. If if we go big picture here, Ryan, I think that, and, and we're going to preview the Carolina Panther game and go through the key matchups as we normally do a, a little bit later on in the week. But but I look at these next three games, and it defines the rest of the season. I, I think oh, that yeah. if you want if you want to have any thought about competing for the division, and by the way, the NFC East is suddenly wide open with the Giants trailing oh, by, but yeah. I, by a game and a half behind the Redskins, uh, who were on the bye week yesterday, they're two and one. Uh, you have the Eagles at two and two, the Cowboys at two and two, and then the Giants in the basement at one and three. If you don't somehow steal one of these games, preferably one, the you Giants, might, you I think you need to win two to really be alive. If yeah. you win two, you're three and four. If you win one, you're two and five. I mean, ugh, ugh. yeah. Yeah, but but if that one comes against the Eagles, a division opponent, that guess. really helps you uh, in the long run. But but well, if let's you keep go- the fans into it and reading and listening, so yeah, sure, you only have to win. You only have to win, even if you go oh and three. At least you're one and six. You still have a chance. Well, I'm not. I'm, I, listen, I'm not saying you go one and six. You still have a chance. <laughs> I'm saying that the rest of the division is so bad. You look at the Eagles yesterday going down and losing to Tennessee. Uh, the, the Cowboys needed a late fourth quarter draw to kick a game-winning field goal at home against a Lions team uh, that we all saw in Detroit for a week wasn't all that great on defense. And you have Washington, who I think is still really flawed, especially when you lose to the Colts at home. I I think that if you can escape at two 
and five, you're not completely dead is all I'm saying. If they go 0 and three, it's time to really start breaking down the the game film of Will Greer and Justin Herbert and Drew Locke and and all of the top quarterbacks in the draft. Because if you're one and six, there's no coming back from that, regardless of who's in your division. Yep, I agree. All right, so we'll be back on Thursday. Ryan, any final thoughts before we close the book on the Saints game on Sunday? Yeah, I can't help but wonder if Davis Webb was on this team. Oh, listen to you. <laughs> when I when I would be calling for Davis Webb to be to get his first career NFL start. Well, I don't have to worry about it because he's not here. But I can't help but wonder when I would be saying, uh, "It's time to see Davis Webb." We won't hey, see Kyle. We won't see Kyle Laletta because he is not even taking practice naps as the third stringer. And we won't see Alex Tanny because there's really no point in seeing Alex Tanny. Uh, but if Webb was here, it would certainly make for an interesting storyline. If they're one and three, and, and again, I think it's just semantics of how they list uh, Alex Tanny and they keep him up. And obviously all that is the inactive quarterback. But if they're one and six, I think there start there will start to be some rumblings to get Kyle Laletta on the field because you 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 can't make the mistake of the previous regime and and know whether or not you quote unquote need to draft a quarterback after a four and twelve yeah. five and eleven three and thirteen yeah. season. So if you fall if you're zero and three over this pivotal stretch of the season, I think that around Thanksgiving it it might be time to think about playing Kyle Laletta because you have to get a look. Yeah, that'd be that give us all something to. Uh right about at that point he's ryan dunleavy i'm matt lombardo we're going to be writing a lot on nj.com so make sure you keep it locked on the on the homepage nj.com slash giants follow ryan on twitter at ry dunleavy i'm at matt lombardo nfl and again please subscribe to the talk is cheap podcast on apple podcasts and itunes you can also find us on soundcloud stitcher spreaker iHeartRadio, all your favorite podcast platforms ryan looking forward to the the end of the week to do this again and we'll talk to you later on i'm looking forward to my burger king lunch <laughs>